This morning, the Bible reading is taken from the book of First Samuel, chapter three, from the Old Testament. We'll be reading from First Samuel three, from verse one to verse twenty-one, the whole chapter, starting with verse one. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord unto Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There was not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The Lamb of God has not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord. Where the ark of God was, then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, "Here I am." And he ran to Eli and said, "Here I am. You call me." But Eli said, "I did not call. Go back and lie down." So he went and lay down. Again, the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said. Here I am. You call me, my son. Eli said, "I did not call. Go back and lie down." Now Samuel did not know the the Lord. The word of the Lord has not yet been received, revealed to him. A third time the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, "Here I am. You call me." Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling. The boy. So Eli told Samuel, "Go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, 'Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening.'" So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there, calling as at the other times, "Samuel, Samuel." Then Samuel said, "Speak, for your servant is listening." Verse eleven, and the Lord said to Samuel, "See, I'm about to do something in Israel. They will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family, from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever, because of sin he knew about. His sons blasphemed God." And he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Samuel lay down until morning, and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the, the vision. But Eli called him and said, "Samuel, my son." Samuel answered, "Here I am. What was it he said to you?" Eli said, "Do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you." So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, "He is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes." The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up. And he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. The Lord was with Samuel.、Uh, 
And all Israel from Dan to Bathsheba recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. I hope you have your Bibles open to 1 Samuel chapter 3. That's where we're going to be this morning as we look at uh, God's calling on the life of this young man, Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 3 is one of those passages which is very similar to some other Old Testament passages where God calls a young man into his service. Samuel, this uh, young boy, of course, is the answer to prayer from Hannah. If you read to 1 Samuel chapter 1, we are introduced to this uh, lady, this woman who is married but is childless and prays earnestly to God for a son. And she is in a place of uh, great trouble in her soul and uh, she's even being uh, harassed by other women, particularly uh, the wife, the other wife of her husband, Penina, and uh, and she is in great distress, and she prays to God for a son, and she promises God that if God provides her with this son, that she would, in turn, give him over to the Lord, and this is what happens in First Samuel chapter one and First Samuel chapter two as. Hannah is blessed. God answers her prayer and provides her with this young boy, Samuel. And when he is weaned, he is brought to the temple and dedicated to the Lord there and given over to Eli, the high priest, who then raises him in the service of the king. And uh, there as a priest in the tabernacle in Shiloh. And in 1 Samuel chapter 3, we are confronted with this, or I guess introduced to this passage where God specifically calls Samuel to serve him, to, uh, if you would, extend his ministry from just simply being a minister in the, in the, uh, in the tabernacle to being a a prophet of the Lord, a, a preacher, if you would. And when you look at the, the state of the nation at this time, and if you were to kind of look historically at the where 1 Samuel and his life fits into the Old Testament narrative, you have, of course, Joshua, who took over from Moses, who led the conquest of the land of Canaan. Uh, following his death, you have a time where uh, the people are without a king and without a designated leader under the time of the judges, and they go through this roller coaster ride of obeying God, and then they disobey God, and God sends a judge uh, to judge the nation, and then they repent, and then they go back, and they keep going back and forth. And, uh, and then you have Samuel. Now, of course, in our Old Testament English translations, the book of Ruth follows the book of Judges, uh, but in the Hebrew Bible, they actually put the book of Ruth at the end of the Old Testament, or of, not the Old, they wouldn't call it the Old Testament, they just would say the Testament, uh, at, at the end of their Bible. And First Samuel really does flow beautifully right out of the book of Judges, which is a time of great spiritual decline in the nation. This is not a good time for Israel. 
When you read the Old Testament, there's actually not a lot of good times for Israel. They, they repeatedly uh, turn their back on God, turn their back on his promises, turn their back on his word, and God has to rebuke them and bring them back into restoration fellowship with him. But what I see in 1 Samuel chapter 3, and mind you, in many other passages where God raises up a man, is that when God seeks to revive or restore his people to himself, he doesn't send a politician. He doesn't send a guru, a life coach, and he doesn't send a committee. God calls and sends preachers, if you would, prophets, those who would proclaim faithfully the Word of God to His people, to call them back, to restore them, to rebuke them at times. And here in 1 Samuel chapter 3, we, we come to this text which speaks of young Samuel's calling. This young boy who had been raised in the tabernacle, we find him in verse 1 there, ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. He's serving. And he's serving in amidst a very precarious time in Israel's history. So as we study this text this morning, I, I kind of look at it as, in many ways, a, a, a template or a pattern for God's calling and raising men for his service. This passage, in many ways, follows similar uh, themes or patterns. For example, when God calls Moses from the burning bush, uh, when God raises up Joshua to take over from Moses, when God calls Samuel, when God calls Jeremiah, uh, when God calls Isaiah, if you would, uh, to go into his service or to be a proclaimer of his truth. And this is the one that we find ourselves this morning as we look at this calling of Samuel. The first thing I want you to notice as we look at this text is we begin with the state of the nation. Verse 1, and I'm reading from the ESV this morning, but verse 1 says, Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. For there was no frequent or no open or no regular vision or revelation. When you read especially the Old Testament, you'll find that there are often what I call state-of-the-nation verses that kind of summarize where the people are at that stage in history. In the United States every year, you may be familiar with it, but every year the President of the United States addresses Congress at what we call, they call the State of the Union Address. And the real pompous affairs and and uh, it's when the president gets up and he, of course, takes all the credit for anything that's going well and he blames the opposite party for everything that's going bad. And um, and uh, everybody applauds and stands and, and uh, all of his successes, of course, are exaggerated. All of his failures are diminished. And uh, that's what they would call the state of the union. How are things going in the nation? First Samuel chapter 3, verse 1 is one of those state-of-the-nation type addresses. There's a few other of these that we find even just surrounding uh, the history or where we are in Israel's history. For example, in Judges, the end of Judges, chapter 21, verse 25, summarizes the moral condition 
because there was no king. First uh, Judges 21:25 says in those days there was no king in Israel and everyone did that which was right in their own eyes. First Samuel chapter 2 and verse 12 gives us an indication of what the the priesthood was like. It says in First Samuel chapter 2 verse 12, now the sons of Eli were worthless men or they were corrupt. They did not know the Lord. And then in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1, he says there was no frequent vision. The word of the Lord was rare. There was no ongoing prophet. So here you have a summary of the, the state of the nation. Judges 21 says there's no king. And everyone's doing that which is right in their own, their own eyes. There's no king to enforce the law of God upon the people. Then in 1 Samuel chapter 2, it gives us an indication of the priesthood. The sons of Eli, the Eli's the high priest, they are corrupt. They are abusing uh, the, the priesthood ministry. They are having they are being immoral with the women who are there in the tabernacle. They are um, taking things that don't belong to them. They are making a mockery of the worship of God. And Eli is just letting everything happen and everything slide. He doesn't rebuke his children. He doesn't correct them. And he doesn't do anything about about it. Then in chapter 3, verse 1, it says specifically that there's no prophet. It doesn't mean that there was no prophecies. 1 Samuel 2 gives us the indication that there was a man who God gave a message to to give to Eli, but there was no one that Israel recognized as one who spoke for the Lord. So here we have no king, essentially no functioning priesthood, and no prophet. This is the state that they're in. This is a recipe for disaster. This is the condition that Samuel is being brought up in. He's being raised by Eli, the high priest, with Eli's sons who are absolutely corrupt. And here he is, this young boy, ministering to the Lord. Prophets were scarce. There was this occasional revelation, but there was no consistent prophetic voice. What does that mean for the people? Well, God speaks to us through revelation. That's how we get to know God. God is one who reveals himself. General revelation, creation, conscience, is how God generally reveals himself to all mankind. But special revelation, i.e. God revealing himself through his word, was almost impossible to find. God is a God who reveals himself. God is a God who is not hiding, who is not hidden. God is a God who speaks. And so special revelation, I like Joel Beakey, he describes it this way. It's the sovereign act of grace, making known to men hidden and divine truths that they could not discover on their own. And so Israel at this time, they have the completed first five books of the Bible, which was originally just one book, but they have five books of the Bible, uh, the law, the law of Moses, the books of Moses. But at this time in redemptive history, God was speaking and would speak through his prophets. Now today, Hebrews chapter one, verse one makes it very clear that while in diverse times and in various ways, God did speak to people through these means. Today, God speaks to us through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, there are no prophets today in the way that they were in the Old Testament of God giving them words, revelation that they would speak to the people. 
Anybody that claims to be a prophet receiving direct revelation from God and speaking it to you is not a prophet. God has finished with that means of speaking. He today speaks to us through his word. And so today, anyone who is speaking the word of God must preach from the scriptures that have been given to us. And so this is the world that Samuel is growing up in. No king, no priesthood, and no prophet. This is the state of the nation. I can't help but think, I wonder if God were going to write a state of the church address today, what would it be like? God doesn't, hasn't made any covenants with any nations anymore. God covenants with His people, with His church under the new covenant. We are the covenant people of God. But if God were to look out upon the state of the church in Australia, what would he say of it? Would it be the same word here that the word of the Lord was rare? You say, well, we've got Bibles everywhere, don't we? I mean, we have so many Bibles, plenty. There, There are more Bibles printed, copied, translated, and purchased I mean, there's Bibles all throughout the land. You can go to bookshops, you can go online, you can get Bibles everywhere. But, but is the Word of God truly believed, preached, proclaimed, or is it rare? Is it rare? Is the Word of God truly loved by the people? Does people? Do people come to church to hear from God, from His Word, from the messenger that God sends to them? Or do we come to have our ears tickled and our, uh, uh, our feelings and our needs met and these things? Or do we desire and crave and love the Word that God has given to us? Can you imagine? Can you just imagine if, if every pulpit in this land If every pulpit in this land, if every pastor, if every preacher laid aside their social agendas and their liberal theology and just boldly proclaimed the Word of God unadulterated, unfiltered, and unchanged, things would be drastically different. But sadly, I I can't imagine that we would get much of a better uh, outcome, if you would, if if Jesus was going to give us an overall uh, explanation or description of the, the general sense and the spiritual condition of the church in Australia. It is with great heaviness of heart that I have to admit that I honestly think that most, many churches, and I'm not including this one, that many churches have laid aside the Word, have diminished the Word, have incorporated so many other things into their service because they think that's what people need and want and love and desire because they can't think that they don't think that they just can stand sitting under the preaching of God's word. The word of the Lord was rare in Samuel's day. And sadly, I don't think it's all that different today. We may have a Bible on our lap. We may have a Bible even sitting on the pulpit. But is the word of God rare? And this leads to Samuel's calling. The state of the nation is what leads to Samuel's calling. When the nation was in despair, what does God do? God calls a man. God calls a man into the ministry. And look what type of a man God calls. 
What is Samuel doing when God comes to him? Samuel is ministering. What's ministering? Ministering is serving. He's ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli the high priest. Now contrast this to Eli's own sons. Eli's sons are abusing the position that they were given. They're abusing the privilege. They're abusing the gifts and the offerings and the things that were given to them in offering and sacrifice to the Lord. They were using their position to get their sensual needs met or desires met. They were a wicked and a corrupt priesthood. And and here's young Samuel who's being raised without even his birth parents. And he's serving. He's serving the Lord. You know, these are the type of people that God calls into his service. God calls people who are already serving him. God comes to people, God never will call someone, a man who is not already serving. If you seek and desire God to lead you, God to call you, God to speak to you in that way, start serving him. Start ministering to him. Start being involved in his service, and that is where you will find the will of God for your life. You'll notice the calling of Samuel. First of all, it's a very personal calling. God comes to Samuel and he calls him directly by name. He he says very clearly, as as, uh, the the nighttime sets in and Eli is uh, lying down to bed and and, and they're asleep there, and and it says that, that the Lord called to Samuel and he says, Samuel, Samuel. In other words, it was only Samuel that heard the voice of the Lord. Eli didn't hear the voice. Eli didn't hear the Lord. It was Samuel who was being addressed. Samuel heard this voice, but of course he didn't understand, didn't know what was going on, and you can't really give him a hard time about that. Uh, You know, why would you? Why would you assume that God was calling you? Uh, And he goes to Eli and he assumes that it's Eli that's calling him. And he says, yes, did you call for me? This is, again, showing Samuel's uh, heart for service. In the middle of the night, ready to get up and go to Eli and say, what do you need? Is there anything I can do for you? Now, Eli doesn't know what's going on either. Now, some commentators give Eli a really hard time, like he should have known immediately that that's what God was doing, that it was God who was calling him. I don't necessarily give Eli a hard time because the priests and the priesthood were a separate um, office than the prophets. And so God didn't often speak directly through priests. He spoke through prophets. So I wouldn't have assumed that Eli would have just gone, oh yeah, that was God speaking. No, he sends Samuel back. God comes to Samuel again. Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel gets up and go looking for what Eli would like. God, when God calls someone, it's a personal calling. God calls directly Samuel by name. You know, some people often wonder today, is, is the call to ministry or the call to full-time service a genuine thing? Is it biblical? I, I believe it is. God speaks to us through His Spirit, through His Word. Notice Samuel's calling was not just a feeling. It wasn't just a sense. It wasn't a, some sort of burning in the bosom, but it was rather he could 
see and hear God speaking to him directly. It was audible. God's voice was audible. It was discernible. It was personal. Now, again, I remind us that God speaks to us, yes, through his spirit, through his word, and it may not necessarily come through this way. God reveals his will to us as we are serving him, but when you know God is calling you to do something, it will be consistent with what his word has called us to do. This was a personal calling. Not only that, but it was a persistent calling. Samuel, of course, hears the voice. He goes to Eli. Eli says, no, 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 it wasn't me. Go back to bed. God calls him again. Goes back to Eli. No, it wasn't me. Go back to bed. Until finally, three times, uh, it takes Eli to say, hey, next time, next time you hear that call, just go back and say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. I kind of get the sense that Eli's like, maybe this is the Lord. Maybe you just ought to check and make sure. There is a persistent call. Samuel at first does not recognize what's going on here. But when God is calling someone to serve him, that call will be persistent. It will not go away. It won't be a fleeting emotion that comes at the end of a a, a service which motivates us to something. It will be something you cannot get off of your heart and off of your mind. I'm reminded of the previous associate who was at Emmanuel um, testifying at actually our 50th anniversary service that years and years and years ago when he started to sense maybe God calling him into ministry that our former senior pastor Ken said to him, all right, pray about it for a year. And if at the end of the year, that's still something you want to do, you believe God wants you to do, then pursue it. There's a lot of wisdom there. Because some people jump at an emotion. Some people jump at a feeling. But if that's something that is on your life, then that will be a persistent thing that happens over and over and over again. Not only that, but it was a powerful calling. Look at the third time in verse 10. Eli is told Samuel to go back and lay down and say, respond, you know, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And this is the third time that the Lord comes. Each time before this, it just simply says that the Lord calls Samuel. Verse 10, it says, and the Lord came and stood this time. I think in this sense, it's like God saying, I'm not taking no for an answer. I am going to make it explicitly clear to you, Samuel, that this is your life, that I am calling you into ministry. Samuel is now in the presence of God. God's presence is so real for him, he cannot deny it, he cannot get away from it. And when God calls someone into his service, he does so with the authority of a king. And Samuel responds rightly. He says, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. It's a very powerful calling. Samuel knows he's in the presence of a holy God. This is the one he's been serving for so many years already as a young man. And here is God coming to him directly and calling him to a particular task that is going to change the trajectory of his life forever. And Samuel's response is exactly right. What do you want me to do? This is like Isaiah being brought into the very throne room of God. 
falling on his knees and saying, here am I, Lord. Send me. What do you want me to do? My life is not mine. It's yours. Whatever you have me to do, I will do. God calls this young boy who is faithfully serving the Lord to be a a prophet, a preacher in many ways. God did not call the son of Eli or anyone else. He calls this young boy into the ministry. And Samuel responds with the right heart and the right attitude. I remember distinctly in my own life at the age of about 13 years old, and I was at a a youth camp. And um, I don't remember what the preaching necessarily was about. This is back in the United States. And But I do remember distinctly sensing God calling me, impressing upon me to give my life over to serve Him in full-time ministry. And at that time, uh, we had a sense, not a confirmation, but a sense that our family would be moving to Australia. And um, I went and prayed about it, and I, in my youth, hasty youthfulness, uh, wrote down in the front of my Bible on this date, and I put the date down there, and I still have this Bible at home. I surrendered my life to serve God in full time ministry in Australia. A couple months later, here we are. When I came to this country, it was not what I had expected it to be as an immature 13 year old. Not happy at all that my parents had dragged me across the world. I had to wear a uniform to school. That wasn't fun. I still don't get Vegemite. Um, I didn't understand the sense of humor. I went from a very large, vibrant church to a very small, struggling, pastorless church. Um, Everything was completely different. And after a couple of months, I was pretty convinced that I had not heard from the voice of God that I had made a mistake or he had made a mistake. And I took liquid paper... And I liquid papered over that decision. It was about two years on, God began to soften my heart in some dramatic ways. He had to beat me up pretty bad. Um, He allowed me to, I guess, go into the world to a degree. Thankfully, not too much. But through various circumstances and people and sermons, God began to softened my heart once again to him, had the opportunity to go on a three-week mission trip in Outback, Australia with someone who I would describe as a Christian crocodile dundee. And over time, that call began to return. And a couple years later, I went over and rewrote over that liquid-papered part of my Bible. And I have that because it reminds me over and over again that if you, you may try to liquid-paper God's call out of your life, but he will never liquid-paper it out of his. And you can try to resist, and you can try to rebel, and you can try to go a certain way. God, in his fatherly discipline, will bring you back, and he will do what he needs to do 
because it's his will and not ours to be done. God called Samuel into his service. And then thirdly, we see Samuel was given a message. Verse 11 down to verse 17, when God calls someone into his service, he he gives them a message to preach. And here's Samuel's first message. And like most Old Testament prophets, it's not a happy one. I don't know why anybody would desire to be a prophet in the Old Testament. To be honest with you, I don't know why anybody would desire to be a preacher in the New Covenant. As a matter of fact, if you can do anything else, you ought to. But if God calls you into this, you you cannot and you dare not do anything else. God calls Samuel and he gives him a message. Verse 11, Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end, and I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew, because his sons were blaspheming God, and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. This is the message This is the message that this young boy just straight out of Bible college is supposed to preach? This is an alarming message. God says to Samuel, I'm going to do something in the nation which is going to wake them up out of their spiritual stupor. We find in 1 Samuel chapter 4 what that is. Spoiler alert, the Ark of the Covenant gets captured by the Philistines because Eli's Stupid sons think that they can wheel God out on a cart, put him in front of their army like some good luck charm, and he's just going to do their bidding no matter what they live, however they live and what they do. And they act like superstitious pagan idolaters. And God says no, and he allows the Ark of the Covenant to get captured, and 34,000 men are killed in one day, including Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. This is going to make Israel's ears tingle. It's going to make their their ears prick up to realize that they can't just live however they live and God is just going to uh, protect them and do whatever they want. And Samuel is this young boy who would proclaim this word that it was going to come to pass. God was going to give him, God gave him this alarming message. This was an absolute message. What is what I mean by absolute? I mean in chapter 2, God had sent another man to tell Eli that God had basically done away with his house as the high priestly household and that both of his children were going to die and that no one from his house would ever reach the old age again. And here is Samuel basically coming to Eli saying, the word which was prophesied is now going to be confirmed. God would strip them of their priesthood. God would stop his family line. And the sign of all of this, that this was going to happen, is that his two sons would be killed on the exact same day. God was not playing around. And he says to Samuel to tell Eli that there is no atonement for sacrifice, there is no offering forever. In other words, the door is shut. And Eli comes to Samuel the next morning and is all excited at the thought that maybe Samuel actually did hear from the, the, from the voice of the Lord. And he goes to Samuel asking him, what is it that, that God said to you? And Samuel is afraid. Samuel is afraid. 
Because here's this man who's raised him, and Samuel doesn't want to give him the bad news. Do you know that that's a very common experience? It ought to be a very common experience for, for anybody who is proclaiming the Word of God. It ought to be a trembling experience because while there is so much good news, but the good news always comes at the heel of the bad news. And we have to preach both. And we cannot dilute it. And, and Samuel doesn't even want to give him the message, but Eli says, no, no, give it to me straight. Tell me everything that God said and don't hold anything back. And so Samuel tells him, your time is up. There's no sacrifice that you can offer that is going to change the mind of God. He has given you opportunity. He has warned you. He has cautioned you. You have not heeded the voice of the Lord. Your time is up. Samuel is given an alarming message, and he's given an absolute message, and he has no right to alter the message. A preacher, a prophet, has no right to preach his own message message. While we don't prophesy again in the same manner, we're not receiving new revelation, okay, this, this sermon didn't come by me sitting in my office and, and praying for God to fill my mind with a, with a sermon. No, it comes through study and through expo- exposition and exegesis of God's Word, and then we proclaim it to you, but we must re- proclaim the revelation of God faithfully and accurately, and even if that is a fearful thing, because it is a more fearful thing to stand before a holy God and say, I could not and I did not want to offend people. I did not want to hurt their feelings. So I altered your message. I changed it. I watered down so that I could be loved and accepted by men. That is a far more fearful thing than to preach what God has faithfully and accurately written for us in his word, regardless of the consequences that come our way. Samuel has to say all that God has said to him, and he does so faithfully and accurately. And this leads lastly to Samuel's ministry. Verse 19 summarizes now what is Samuel's life. It says, And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him. And let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel as Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And Going into chapter 4, verse 1, and the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Samuel's ministry. God's calling on Samuel's life became his life. This wasn't a one-off message, but rather God was calling Samuel into a life of service. And he noticed that it says that Samuel grew. In other words, Samuel didn't stay where he was with his understanding, or even with how God revealed himself to him, but God continued to reveal himself to him. God's calling on servants' lives always leads to growth. We never stop learning. We never stop growing. I remember my dad telling to me, me when I finished Bible college, he says, congratulations, son, you just got your license to start learning. And he was right. We don't stop there. We begin there. And it says that the Lord was with Samuel. That's an interesting phrase that is used often in the Old Testament to describe people that God 
has called and is using. It's used of Moses, it's used of Abraham, it's used of Joseph, it's used of Joshua, it's used of Gideon, it's used of many of the judges, of David, of Solomon, of Hezekiah. And then the last time you see that phrase used, and the Lord was with him, is in reference to John the Baptist. Because post-resurrection, there's a distinction between Old and New Testament saints and that the Holy Spirit indwells us uh, uh, um, as, as He indwells us when we are, we are regenerated uh, through Him. God is with those whom He calls. He indwells all of His saints. And it says, and the Lord spoke to him. Again, this was different than other prophets as the Lord revealed to Himself to Samuel again and again and again. In other words, Samuel became the voice of the Lord to the nation doesn't mean that everything Samuel said was, was Scripture, if you would. It doesn't mean that he's uh, like Jesus in that way, that everything he said was the Word of God. But he was the voice of God. And it's interesting, isn't it? In verse 4, uh, sorry, the end of, um, uh, of chapter 3, it just says that the Word of the Lord, uh, sorry, the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the Word of the Lord. Literally, the next verse, and the Word of Samuel came to all Israel. Look at that subtle change. It's the word of the Lord that God reveals himself to him. And then the word of Samuel comes to all the people. What does that mean? I think it comes to the point where Samuel, again, as a prophet, as he spoke, people heard it as the word of the Lord. He was so saturated with the word. He was so in, in, uh, embodied with the word, if you would, that as he spoke, he, he bled out the word of God. And that ought to be the desire for every man who fills a pulpit, who fills a calling that God gives to him, that they would be so saturated with the Word that it just bleeds out of him, that it comes out of him. The Lord spoke through Samuel to his people. God calls his servants to be his messengers. The state of the state of our nation is, is it any better than Israel? Man, the Word of God is rare. What is God going to do to revive His people? He's going to call up, He's going to raise up men to send them out and preach and proclaim the Word of God. That is what we need. That is what you need. That is what I need. That is what our country needs. That is what this world needs. That is what the church needs. There is a great dearth in the land of men who will unashamedly preach the whole counsel of God, who will hear from God in his word, who will speak for God and will serve God with their whole heart. Lord, give us more Samuels.